Coming to you live from a radio tower near you, studying the intersections of video games and science. This is Pokey Science. Okay, everyone. So uh, Madison here, and we have a few pieces of news here. Uh, really quick. So episodes for the show, reminder, are now released on Monday and Wednesdays. Yay, two days a week. And a reminder from last week that we are taking your plant Pokemon questions up until January 18th. So the link is in the episode description. It's also on on all of our socials. You can fill it out, send us your questions, and we will answer them for you at an episode at the end of the month. That said, I need to introduce uh, who's with me today. So today I have uh, Ceci. Hi. And Chelsea. Hello. And <laughs> that said, I'm really excited. So we are going to talk all about anoles. Right? Am I saying that right? Um, that's one way to say it. Okay, um, how else do I say it? You could say you could say anoli. Um, <gasps> yeah, different people pronounce it different ways, and I'm fine with it. I'm not. That how do you pronounce it? I pronounce it anole because that's how I first heard it, so I just kind of stuck with it. But um. I'm from the Commonwealth of Dominica in the Caribbean, and the island I'm from, um, the indigenous people who originally lived on the island called the lizard Anauli, and the current name is adapted from uh, the name that they give it. So you could say Anoli or Anol or some other third pronunciation <laughs> that you want. That's fine. So today we're going to talk about Anolis. Anoli? Holy Anoli. Uh, because... Uh, they are the inspiration, and I'm totally going to butcher this, uh, butcher it massively. Uh, the inspiration here, or one of the inspirations here uh, for, is it is it Caridion? I've been saying Caridion. Oh, I like yeah. that better. Like Rhydon? Caridon? Yeah. yeah. Caridon and Meridon. I like that better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can pronounce words. I feel like thinking about how Japanese is pronounced, that makes more sense to me. But I could always be wrong because I feel like there's several Pokemon. I'm like, yeah, that's the name of it. And then I like watch the anime and I'm like, never mind. <laughs> I think, uh, was it Rayquaza? But I always said it Rayquaza. That's what I said too. I said Rayquaza. And then I it's like Rayquaza. Like, like, hey. We absolutely cannot trust the anime here. They've they've butchered <laughs> as many names as we have so you know they're not even on you're right anymore. it is it is also the english dub so i don't know if we can like yes correct <laughs> yes also the american anime decided that arbok evolves oh, into surviper i don't remember huh? that it was in one of the pokemon advanced episodes and they were like which one of these pokemon evolves into None surviper of them. <laughs> <laughs> all of them wow <laughs> it's real convergent evolution <laughs> <laughs> okay so that said um yeah so we're gonna talk about anolis or anol uh so i'm gonna turn this over to chelsea can you tell me some background information about um anolis yeah anoles? so anoles first of all there's the genus is called anolis and there's over 400 of them um it sounds a little overwhelming i know <laughs> but it's actually great i love every single one of them and they typically live in trees so they're like these like I would say small lizards that you see like running up and down um, in the leaves and the branches. And very few of them are vocal, but they all communicate with body language, um, namely with this 
thing called a dewlap. It's a flap of skin under their necks that they can um, extract, uh, sorry, expand <laughs> and retract um, at will. So if you like, if you live somewhere warm like Florida, you have probably seen a lizard do like push-ups and then like flash a flap of skin under its neck that's brightly colored. That's an anole and that's this little dewlap. And they use it to communicate things like, you know, this is my territory, go away, or hey, I think we're in the same egg group, like things like that. And the ones in the Caribbean, we can put them into groups based on uh, their body types. So all animals live in habitats, but then some animals like have like microhabitats, just smaller habitats within that, and anoles are specifically adapted to those like smaller habitats. So like the small branches or like all the way at the top of the tree where there's just leaves, there's anoles that are adapted to move and live in those parts. So like, but these are the ones that like, I see these in Florida, right? Yeah. So um, Florida has this problem of invasive species. So it's one of many. Yeah, they do. (laughs) It's one of many animals you can find there that shouldn't be there. Yeah, they have an anaconda problem, they have a chameleon problem, they have an anole problem, <laughs> um, they have Old a lion people driving problem. through grocery stores. <laughs> Florida is its own little, like, planet, I feel like. Hey, I lived there for, like, five years, guys, so <laughs> back <laughs> off gonna, a little like, bit. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited. We're going to Florida next year as our family vacation. Like, oh, no. And gorgeous lovely uh in mm-hmm. fact we've been heartbroken at our house about sanibel because uh, i've wanted oh, yeah. to show my daughter sanibel for the longest time what's sanibel uh sanibel it's an island. island yeah oh okay it's on and the like Gulf the beaches side. are covered in shells oh that sounds pretty and it got nailed by hurricane yeah. nicole oh no yeah that in fort myers which was the other place i wanted to take my daughter's <laughs> Oh, Two sad. places from my childhood. <laughs> uh, okay. Anytime we go back to Florida, though, the anoles, anoles, it's immediately what I look for because it's like, oh, yes, I'm home. My little yes. green friends, not my, you know. <laughs> and I feel like species. I feel like every time you go there, there's probably going to be a new species. There's probably like <laughs> 11 or 12 different anole species in Florida right now. Um, they all got there because people like exotic pets but people mm-hmm. don't um, pay attention to the you know type of animal they're getting and the care that they need and how big they get because they always get them as cute babies and then they grow up um, and then they're like, I can't take care of this animal anymore. And instead of rehoming them or taking them to a shelter, um, some shelters actually don't accept exotic pets. They just release them into the wild. Wait, how you're big? telling me that animals get big? How big do animals get? <laughs> It depends on the species entirely. Oh my gosh. Um, there are, a, yeah, there's a group of anoles called crown giants, and they're called crown giants because they're gigantic. Like, how like big? How big? By, by anole standards, they're gigantic <laughs> by anole standards. Are we talking like six? They're not like, they're not like Komodo dragon size. Okay. Um, I wish. <laughs> Um, so the Cuban night anole is the largest anole so far, as far as we know currently. Um, so it gets up to 20 inches in length. Oh, 
I'm not sure that includes the tail. My sweet little, like, three to four inch little friends. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, so okay. 20 inches including their tail and mm, i'm trying to remember i think their tails are usually about the same length as their body they could be a little bit longer oh good balance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so okay chelsea because we picked a knolls as or nolies sorry as the first topic on purpose so can you tell us uh, like what is your work with anolies um well I'm currently a grad student. Um, for undergraduate, though, I worked with Anoles on my home island of Dominica, not Dominican Republic, just Dominica. And we have an endemic species. Uh, that means it's only found on my island. Um, that's the case with lots of other Caribbean islands. They have an endemic species. Recently, in terms of science, is like early 2000s. <laughs> so recently, um, another anole from Puerto Rico was introduced to the island. And there's been competition between the endemic anole and this new anole. So um, I was looking at their diets. It's important to look at something like diet when you have um, two competing species because it's one of the most important things, important resources animals can compete with each other for. That's pre-item. That's how they survive, by eating and by mating. Do you think that they're going to end up having, like, a big fight like the sharks and jets? (laughs) (laughs) With song and choreography. (laughs) Oh, my God. I would love an Anul West Side Story. I would love that. (laughs) It'd probably be better than the one we got. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I've... I've been pretending that didn't exist. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I feel like I'm ahead yeah. of the curve here. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask, so why do Anolis fit being the rider Pokemon? And um, I know both of you had thoughts here. I will be honest. At first, I did not think that an Anol could be a rider Pokemon. I was hoping they'd put an Anol in there, but I never like considered it being like a rider Pokemon. I think it's really cool. That is to say, they've definitely created a much larger Anol than normally exists. And I think, I don't know, I think it's a great fit because they're just so versatile. They can do so much. And in the future, if they want to add different forms and variations, like they have kind of right now for the two um, Paradox Pokemon, uh, they can definitely do something like that. Because, like I said, there's like 400 species of gnolls. <laughs> and one of the Pokédex entries, I think it's the one for Violet. Yeah, it's the entry for Violet. It says that Cyclozar... Um, enjoy the warmth from, from from humans and with reptiles they're cold-blooded so they need to like have a source of warmth whether it's the sunlight or a warm rock or something else that helps them warm up their entire bodies so that they can continue to function and digest food and that that addition creating that mutualism i think is perfect for making an a, 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 uh sorry pokemon that people can rely on well, so if they're cold-blooded, all those people leaving out their uh, cyclozars are really mean then, right? Oh, yeah. I don't get why you'd leave it out. Like, <laughs> Well, they're in those, if you're talking about the little hitching station, I like to believe those little roofs, they've got like the radiation heaters, you know, like outdoor, <laughs> Ooh, like dining that is, areas. That's good. That's good. That's what I'm choosing to believe. <laughs> um, they got that, the, I... the outdoor shopping districts have. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. exactly. Totally fine. I actually... 
was also on the same page as Chelsea of like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't see this coming in terms of being the writer Pokemon. But I guess, I don't know if I should do a spoiler warning here, but um, what I found very interesting or very well fitting with Anoles in general uh, being the way that Scarlet and Violet introduce the writer Pokemon and how they gain, I guess you could say, their abilities or their features of swimming and climbing and jumping and gliding. Um, it's a progressive uh, accumulation of skills, right? And so to me, that just immediately clicked with this um, feature, I guess we'll say, of anoles called adaptive radiation. It's not exclusive to anoles. There are other species that exhibit this. But basically what that means is just that a species evolution or adaption um, adaptation takes place over a more accelerated timeline than would be considered, you know, maybe quote standard over less generation generations over a less period of years and is really driven by, as Chelsea was, you know, mentioning with some of the exclusion competition earlier, uh, the introduction or availability of new niches or those small ecological habitats. So for me, seeing the, you know, a null rider Pokemon gaining these new skills. It's not exactly the same as adaptive radiation because obviously we're not crossing generations or anything. It's one singular Pokemon. But to me, it was very similar in theory of how they're gaining these additional skills or additional adaptations as those new ecological niches are opening up. So I found that to be a really interesting sort of keyed in point there. And I'm curious what Chelsea thinks about that observation. Yeah. So one of the things that interests me and a lot of other people who study anoles is how quickly they adapt. And uh, we'll like, we'll get more into it later, but like seeing that gradual progression um, reflected as you're like playing through the game, is just like, oh, this is perfect. This is, the, they picked the perfect Pokemon, I'm sorry, animal for this Pokemon <laughs> to be based off of. Uh, <laughs> because that is, that is kind of how it happens, you know, not, you know, as fast as that, but it is that gradual progression of, you know, okay, I need to be able to do this to continue to survive, and it adapts pretty quickly to, to that and evolves and is able to to fill that niche, to fill that role. Okay, so all this great stuff about uh, Anolis, uh, and it, like, it got me thinking, too, as I was reading up on this, like, how does that tie into all these skills that Coridion, Corid, Coridion? Coridon? Coridon and Maridon. That's it. Coridon, Maridon. I'm going to say it right eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have no idea what his actual name is because I was just, I just kept calling him and referring to him as a nickname the entire game because <laughs> I named my entire party after my D&D group, which, which Brittany's in. And uh, so I was just like, well, that's clearly his name. yeah obviously clearly he's that character guys come on he's clearly uh so but they have all sorts of like skills here so like i want to talk about like how they kind of fit in and i think i think Mm -hmm. uh we can make it like kind of brief here because i do want to get to the pokemon too like i know floating was one and i know that's like kind of a cool thing here with the nollies right yeah so all anoles can float or swim, um, but a lot of them tend to avoid it. However, there are like about six or seven um, species of anoles that are what we call semi-aquatic. 
um and that's because like they live on land but they're, they're near water and if you disturb them um their first option their first like choice always is to like jump into the water to escape from you so they either jump into the water and like try to run across it and swim away or they will dive down and owls have what is called hydrophobic skin which means that they like repel water so they'll jump um into the water and it'll like come off their skin and it'll help them like stay afloat that's how they're able to like run on the top of the water uh because of the air trapped because of the hydrophobic layer it creates like a little ear bubble there's like one specific anole that's just called the aquatic anole <laughs> it's a very creative name <laughs> the aquatic anole that um is really good at this because it has it creates an ear bubble that's like a rebreather on like when you go like scuba diving you have a rebreather so like the little bubble acts as that and it helps it stay underwater longer um i think hmm, the longest in the knoll has been recorded to be underwater so far that i know of is about 13 minutes and that's he didn't even wild. have a diving bell aquatic animals are like my one fun fact because i'm just over here living in aquatic land but yeah the air bubble is so cool i'm so devastated that dive was not a function in this game because it literally looks i mean picture dewpider right is another pokemon reference they've got the little air bubble around their head and what i know about aquatic Anoles, or I think Squamata <laughs> is the genus, is that they're able to retain that, you know, underwater diving because, as you mentioned, the air bubble and they rebreathe that. And scientists have actually been able to measure that the concentration of oxygen within the bubble decreases over time. So, you know, very direct evidence that there's rebreathing happening. And Mm -hmm. the bubble can also disperse carbon dioxide out into the surrounding water. And so, you know, if you're a diver, the buildup of carbon dioxide, like that can be a big issue and really limits a lot of species being able to stay underwater. But these aquatic anoles can, you know, pass that carbon dioxide straight out into their bubble, which then dissolves into the surrounding water. And I mean, it's just this magnificent feat of engineering that like I wish scuba diving was anywhere as capable of <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> like, I um I'm really happy that you mentioned the dive feature because I remember um earlier Pokemon games you would be able to dive and that was such a cool mechanic to me. Yes. And they just like never did that again. And if they yes. if they had done it now with these Pokemon it would have been amazing. Especially cuz like I was expecting it too cuz I would jump into the water and then Karidon would go down and I'm like, "Oh, are we diving? Can we dive?" <laughs> And then nothing happens. I come right back up. I'm like, oh, that's boring. That's silly. So yeah. listeners, this is how you listeners, this is how you know that they are true Pokemon fans. Because <laughs> the first open world Pokemon game with so many amazing features, probably one of the best storylines that we've had in a long time. We're complaining that we couldn't dive. <laughs> okay. It's well, not the uh, same. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> But also, like, they have these other skills, too, right? Because I do want to get into these. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. Personally, like, I, just, I just thought this was super interesting. Like, uh, with swimming, too, right? Yes. So, um, if they can float, of course, they can swim. And they... I don't know about um, that. I've taught a lot of kids how to swim. And they can learn to float, but not always swim. Really? <laughs> Okay, well, I shouldn't say really, because I can float, and I, I'm not a great swimmer, <laughs> to be no. honest, myself. 
I like to pretend I am, but <laughs> it's not the case. But yeah, anoles anoles are good swimmers. Um, they usually tuck their legs in, so they like they swim like uh, like snakes. Like they'll just use their body and wave back and forth, um, using their tails for like direction and propulsion. And sometimes they will use their legs as well to like paddle and add a little extra propulsion in there. But they mainly just use their bodies. And I think Coridon does that when you like try to dash when you dash while you're swimming. That's when he like tucks his legs in. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. Yes. I've, yes. I've been playing yes. Violet, so I have Maridon, and I don't... Oh. Yeah. No, Maridon really cute, because I noticed that, too. It's like, does a little wiggle, wiggle swim. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it's super cute. I love him. Okay, so uh, what about... And I know, like, uh, Ceci had some thoughts, too. Like, what about climbing? Yeah, so originally being tree lizards, um, that the word for that is arboreal. They're great climbers. All of them are are amazing climbers, uh, some more so than others. And the difference comes in when you think about those like micro habitats, those like smaller habitats that they have within their bigger habitat. So for example, green anoles, which is the common one around America, those anoles um, recently, <laughs> the first introduced anole, <laughs> I should say, because um, for it as like 20 first introduced anole was the brown anole and with that introduction they had to like adapt to having another anole there and you know now they live higher up in the trees than they normally do and that means that you know their toe pads got bigger so they evolved bigger toe pads to help them hold on better so their like climbing ability depends on like the length of their toes and the size of their toe pads also the size of their limbs because there's for example there's twig anoles they're a group of anoles that look really really silly i love them so much they have tiny bodies (laughs) with long pointy heads and then their legs are super short and they look ridiculous but because of those really short legs that means they can hold on to twigs really well and that's where they that's where they live that's where they stay they stay on those like tiny twigs they have all these different ways to adapt to different surfaces to be able to like yeah, so my background is an invasive species, so again, <laughs> that's my context here. But yeah, the green anole, brown anole competition, you know, that's really the key, at least in my experience um, or my knowledge sort of descriptor or, or study, I guess, even, because it was directly studied uh, by researchers of this adaptive mm-hmm. radiation that anoles exhibit. And so, you know, I know they studied over 20 generations, which is about 15 years, but you have in your notes here that it was even signs of that toe pad getting larger happened within three to five years. And so it's just a really good example of like, yep, that niche opened up, there was competition for their preferred habitat. So the green anoles were able to get those bigger toe pads, just like I assume Coridon and Maridon did. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something that not a lot of people know. Um, I know this because not only do I study them, sometimes I think it's fun to read anole papers. (laughs) But <laughs> we have very different definitions of fun, but I feel like this class is going to be fun. So let's hear it. Um, the American green anole and the Cuban green anole are the same green anole. 
Ooh, I did not yes. know that. They are they are the same green anole. And what's cool is that the Cuban green anoles are in a different, what we would call an ecomorph. So that just means it's adapted to a different like microhabitat than the American green anoles were. So when the American green anoles arrived in America and became American, they were the same ecomorph as they were in Cuba. And they just adapted to not having any other anoles around. So they just did whatever. <laughs> and with the introduction of other anoles, they're having to readapt, reacclimate themselves to their original like place in the tree. Oh, so this raises the question, actually, I wanted to ask earlier on and I forgot to ask, are there, I assume there are native species of anoles in Spain? Or oh. do we think they're also introduced? There are no native species of anoles <gasps> in Spain. An- anoles are ask- tropical, subtropical lizard. <laughs> And I know we're going to talk about this later, but it's not like Spain doesn't have ties to other parts of the world. It's just like, and mm-hmm. I know that was something that we talked about when we've talked about like Galler or Kalos. Spain obviously has uh, connections and other correlations and histories with other parts of the world. And some of that is the Caribbean too, though. I mean, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there's lots of Spanish-speaking countries in the Caribbean and in Central and South America um, where where anoles naturally occur because of colonialism. And, you know, those are places that people from Spain tend to visit a lot. And yeah, I think some of those people who have, like, connections to Spain also go over there to visit sometimes. And that is one of the ways that animals spread. They like hitchhike on people's in people's luggage, um, or, you know, on ships. That is how that's how the Puerto Rican and all got to my island and got there on a boat. Like a shipment of PVC in the early two thousands. Um, lots of people travel and they come back and there's like, oh, there's a scorpion in my suitcase from the place I was visiting. Yeah. <laughs> it happens a lot. Yes. One of my advisors uh, has a scorpion and she studies scorpions and she has a scorpion in her office. And she's like, yeah, somebody brought that to me. It was in their suitcase when they got back from a trip. Oh, man. That's okay. It happens, happens a lot. It's rad that they have one in the lab, but it's not rad that it came from luggage. <laughs> I would lose my mind. <laughs> It was already dead when they found it. Oh, okay. Oh, it's not like okay. a pet. I no, I was, it wasn't, I for sure it it was wasn't alive and sitting in there. Okay. <laughs> just hangs out. Yeah, it snuck in and then it just was like, I'm going to peace out actually. And then died. <laughs> so also like uh, anoles are, are good at are, like jumping, right? Like that ties in here too? Yes. Oh my god. Um I love the jumping features. Like one of the <laughs> when I got the ability to jump, I've like forced Karida into so many places I knew I should not have been able to get to yet. <laughs> Cuz like if I can jump, as soon as I touch the ground, if I jump again, I'll make it. I can do it. And I did it. <laughs> I actually have not finished Pokemon yet because I have been so busy doing everything because it's open world. So I've been doing everything. Oh, no, also, I'm like, let me I, I, I love ever since I first started playing Pokemon. I love completing the Pokedex. So I've been like, no, I need to go catch these. I know it's right here. It's nearby. I'm going to go catch these. And then I'll see three other Pokemon I don't have. And I'm like, I need to catch these too. So... <laughs> But hey, I'm up to 270 Pokemon in the Pokédex, so 
Knolls are, are amazing jumpers. Um, it's one of their like main ways of traveling. You know, they definitely walk across things, of course. But a lot of anoles jump. They jump from branch to branch. They jump from like tree to rock, from rock to tree. And again, depending on those like those micro habitats, those like smaller habitats, some are better jumpers than others. So there's um, anoles that are in a group called trunk ground. That means they live on like the low part of the tree and they live among the rocks near the base of the tree. So they're always jumping and they have such well-developed um, leg muscles for that. I wish I could show you guys a picture because I do have a picture of one <laughs> that I took myself and it has like thick leg muscles. So what about like the whole like running thing? Because that kind of fits yeah. there too, right? Yes, running, they they tend to like start and stop with the running, but if they were to continue running, oh God, I saw a paper estimate that their average speed should be about like six miles an hour for a certain like type of anole, like those green anoles should be about that, about that speed. They're, they're pretty fast. Like they can, they can definitely dash if they need to. Um, and I'm saying this as someone who has caught over a hundred anoles they're fast it's terrible (laughs) get back here yeah so it's imagine like you're standing several feet away and you have a little like fishing pole with a little lasso on the end of it and you're like ah yes let me catch this lizard for my research and it like turns and it sees you you're several feet away but it sees you that's it that's the last time you've seen that anole you will not see it again it's gone Yeah, that's literally my half marathon pace. So I'm like aware. I'm like, dang, wow, this this lizard really is out training me. <laughs> yeah. So because um, we talked about, so I'm gonna. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So because we talked about adaptive radiation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you think anoles develop this to get away from their exes? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. It's the last you'll ever see me. Goodbye. I'm not coming back. Ever. Oh no. They I I wish I could. I wish I it's could effective. Until they come back to their same little ecomorph and they're like, this town's not big enough for the two of us. Yeah, so they're great runners. Said all that to say they're amazing runners. So what about gliding? Um they this is a um something that's a bit more rare. Um, or at least like understudied because as far as far as I know and I I would know I look up anoles a lot there's like two species of anoles that have been recorded and reported as like you know they glide out of their perches so the perch is just basically wherever the anole is choosing to sit at the moment they just call the perch to make it easier to explain so it'll be sitting there and if it's like you know sees like a bird or a human or something else disturbing it it'll jump and it will glide (laughs) out of the tree or wherever it's sitting to a safer spot and to facilitate that they will like flatten their bodies and that's how lizards that we know that fly or glide like the ones in in asia that have the extra flaps of skin to, to like help them really catch the air that's how they do it. They flatten their bodies and they spread out their limbs and they use their tails to help with direction. And these anoles don't have that much extra skin like those other lizards do, but they do as much as they can by flattening their bodies and using their tails for, for direction. So they will like jump and they'll just like 
try to direct themselves as best as possible into a much safer tree at a lower um lower height so i was actually thinking about it when you were talking earlier about like the skin flaps and like i know like in the real world anolis don't use that to but like it kind of fit to me to the you know like how like at least you know playing uh scarlet with uh Caridion. Like, almost like the wings are skin flaps? Yeah. It's definitely, like, spreading out the, the wings and the waist. Like, I feel like it's skin flaps yeah. and catching the air and then gliding down. Because it's not it's not <laughs> flying. It's definitely just gliding. And it glides um down to safety. I feel like it would have been, uh, like, more accurate if they had, like, added those, those flaps. Or at least, like, utilized the existing feathers it already has and just added some more in, like, its armpits <laughs> to, to really just like help it glide instead of where they did decide to put them but it still looks really cool or it has a skin flaps because it did a really good job on the atkins diet <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask what coridon looks like when gliding because like again i'm playing violet so i have Maridon and he just gets mm-hmm. these dope like fixed wing like aircraft like <laughs> type of situation going on so um yeah what does coridon even look like yeah so he he has these little like feather antenna thingies in the front of his his head and when he's gliding they will like unfurl into little wings and he'll glide with those yeah it's great it's fun but at the same time i'm like oh if they had like given him like armpit like flaps (laughs) that would have been so good (laughs) like a flying squirrel yes that is actually just how those flying lizards look they look like flying squirrels but with like no fur (laughs) oh emolga's got some competition then i forgot that pokemon existed okay so with that said uh it's time we gotta talk about some pokemon now yes because that's what they're here for yes Yes. and science come on you're here for (laughs) science and pokemon we know we know we go you got the drill so we're going to start off with uh, Cyclozar. Is that how we say it? Yes. Well, that's how, so. I, how I've been saying it. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's going to be Cyclizer. <laughs> <laughs> English dub is going to get us again. <laughs> no. The, the official Nintendo pronunciation is going to be Cyclizer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Cyclozar. So they have uh, some roots here with the gnolls, right? Yes. So, anoles are not the only lizards that have dewlaps. There's like, there's two other genera of lizards that have dewlaps, and they're found in in India. They're called like fan-froated lizards because their dewlaps are huge. <laughs> I found a picture of one once that looks like its dewlap was like blowing in the wind, like hair would. Yeah, in anoles there is like variation in dewlap size, so they could be that big, but they also you know tend to have like really small dewlaps sometimes, especially the female anoles. Um, dewlaps are typically a male trait, so the female anoles will have no dewlap or they have a really small dewlap. And for the cyclozar, it looks like the front wheel is like an adapted dewlap, like it's 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 been it's evolved to look like that and also to be used that way for better mobility and as it became a pokemon that like humans have have ridden on then it's like over time evolved to become wheel like or at least wheel shaped so that it can um better move across the ground in that way it it like evolved actual tires (laughs) 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 we were actually just talking about this in our house because Haley, my my four-year-old has discovered a new show on netflix called uh pui pui mokar which is squeak squeak uh sorry squeak squeak guinea pig car 
Oh. <laughs> okay. Like a, it's like a 12-year-old Japanese show, uh, stop animation, uh, sorry, stop motion animation, where guinea pigs, it's a world where guinea pigs are cars. Oh, okay. Weird show. But uh, there's an episode where they time travel, and you see like a real guinea pig, like from our world. And so my daughters and I were like, wait, what had to happen in those thousands of years from <laughs> the paws to the wheels? <laughs> like, how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, I can't even, like, conceptualize this. <laughs> you have to go watch it now. Yes, I have homework. I, I need I'm to see one it. episode. <laughs> I don't remember who is next. Yeah, just uh, also going to say they also have these things called... They're technically called cask, um, but like let's just call it for everybody's understanding. It's called the windshield because that's what it looks like. Yes. <laughs> but like that head shape is like it's fairly common in lizards. It's common in, in chameleons. A lot of chameleons have. Well, I think every chameleon species that I know of has that like head cask that's an extra bit to its head. But there also are six species of anoles that mimic chameleons and they do it really well. They're called false chameleon anoles. And they also have that head cask. I think the Cuban knight anole has like a really big head. It doesn't quite have that cask, but it's like pretty close to doing that. But those those six false chameleon anoles are just they're they're doing perfect. Yeah, I think uh, Sassy had more to say about that. I did not, other than to say it's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> that was well. So that was my question. Was you know I'm a bit of a car person, so I like immediately recognized obviously a lot of the car analogies that are happening or the mm-hmm. motorcycle analogies. <laughs> and so yeah, I was wondering about how that played into the cask, um, and I feel like you covered that really well. What I actually wanted to talk about with Cyclozar is that, okay, setting aside, you know, maybe that they're not, mm-hmm. anoles are not a native species to Spain, you know, Cyclozar, right. we're going to say they're native species to Paldea. What I have been thinking about since I did complete the game, so I'm going to really try and avoid spoilers <laughs> here. It's but- okay, spoilers don't bother me. <laughs> As you can probably gather from, you know, Karaidon. Yeah, they're paradox forms. Yes. Yes. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, but they, they, come from, they come from a different place, right? And so yeah. what I've been noodling on is, you know, what are the biological interactions that go on between, you know, the paradox Pokemon, the Crydon and Maridon, mm-hmm. and the native Cyclozar? And there's clearly a much larger, like, population of the Cyclozar in Paldea, but mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, you know, with the, and we'll get into some of the, um, you know, more specific differences, at least physiologically, between the three Pokemon. And, um, you know, Madison's going to cover the how Cyclozar sort of fits between them. But I want to I want to come back to that question and, and talk about where, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we see some competitive advantages, even, you know, at the scale of just one or two individuals. Yeah, I mean, like, I totally noticed that right away when they showed it in the trailer. That was like my first thought that was like, is this the missing link between these? Kind of, you know, thinking about, you know, when we're trying to make that connection, you know, in the uh, in the poster, how do you get from chimpanzee to Dilbert? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Coridon uh, have that second and third digits where they're like separated. Mm-hmm. There's like a skin membrane, right? And like Cyclozar's digits are partially fused, but Maridon's digits are fully fused. So kind mm-hmm. of like that membrane, you know, over time through that. Has been uh, lost. 
that that trait then you know gets carried down and I thought that was kind of a cool like you know nod here especially being someone as a kid like I love dinosaurs uh, and my four-year-old does mm-hmm. too Haley tells everyone she's going to be a paleontologist I love her for it but like even as a young kid you know seeing that there was a you know that in between from you know the oviraptor to the utah raptor mm-hmm. like how did you get from one to the other and that's kind of how i like i don't know it just it's, it's i'm excited that this game actually brought in like evolutionary concepts full circle yes yeah that's what i was exactly going to say like not only do we have evolution as a mechanic in Pokemon, but we also have evolution as a biological process. And what I really love is that. Well, so now the nineties parents can actually be angry because it has actual evolution. (laughs) (laughs) Cyclozar does not evolve. Right. So, you know, it's even more chef's kiss to me that there's it's, you know, sort of sits in this biological process of evolution, but it does not Mm. sit in the mechanic process of evolution and it's just oh it's so good so well done yeah and like I, I think it's it's really cool to like look at especially if you like look at them side by side and look at the traits that like you know they started out with and wherever it is that Coridon is from originally um I'm gonna assume that there were probably several of them there were probably several Coridons and this one is just displaced from where it originally came from because you know time travel all that I guess <laughs> which is a thing in Pokemon and now we get to, to look at this now there's so many cycles are all over Paldea and you can see that you know this is how this is how they started off and as they found that mutualism with human beings you know, in being like a rider Pokemon and the benefits of that for them, how they have like changed further to to allow Ooh. that, how they've adapted to to that. So they they lost features that they didn't need anymore. They lost the feathers. They didn't need the feathers. The feathers probably hindered them when they were trying to, um, you know, when the riders are trying to see. <laughs> properly probably hindered their speed as well as you know their their mobility um their aerodynamic stability so those feathers have disappeared they don't need those feathers anymore and i was even thinking about like because again that tying that back into how they have that like it's how cyclozar really is that in between because like cyclozar and maridon right again like you're right they don't have the feathers but they have that same like beak like snout you know Mm. that like shield and the crest but cyclozar and Coridon the like tire like scales on their tail um chest region mm-hmm. so i like that it does show like they had these traits long ago and like how they're slowly you know evolving in a biological sense over time to not have them because they don't need them yeah in in the same way you can look at cyclozar and look at maridon and see how it's like changed from there you can see what it's like in the future will no longer need and has adapted to you know do better like the change in their um the digits so it it doesn't use its um it doesn't use its hands in the same way I'll call them hands for like simplicity's sake um it doesn't use its hands in the same way so there's no need for it to have those like freely moving digits um as it did before it you know it doesn't need those the the tire like scales because it it doesn't like quite move in the same way it and now, you know, for swimming, it doesn't need that membrane anymore or, you know, again, the mobility with the digits because it just does this, like, uh, doesn't it just, like, have the engines again when it's swimming? I don't remember. I feel like I looked it up 
look up pictures of, of Maraiden swimming, and I don't remember. Oh gosh, I played the game and I don't remember. So, and then for for the for gliding, it doesn't need those feathers on its head to help with gliding anymore because it it has jet engines now. <laughs> Somehow, as an animal, it has that, so it doesn't it doesn't need that. Found better abilities and and better. Um, Better structures. It's found better structures to be able to more efficiently do what it needs to do. So that's one of the things that evolution does. It's like all of these structures that are not necessary for survival, eventually they phase out. Well, and thinking about adaptive radiation too, and that concept of of adapting to the available ecological niches. Like we don't know what Coridon's time or Maridon's time looks like. So we don't know what niches they've adapted to either. So it is interesting to see what gets carried through of what's relevant from, you know, the time that we're in now that may still be relevant back in the time of Coridon or in the future in the time of Miridon. Yeah. I feel like anyone can like make those like extrapolations, especially when you look at them side by side and you see that like Coridon is still like running and it's still using its feet when it's run and when it runs and Maridon like, tucks its feet into like its wheels and it just goes okay so let's talk about uh the i mean i guess they're box legendaries technically but they're not really legendaries uh so first we gotta go to uh caridion caridon caridon so when i first saw this thing uh you know obviously there's a lot of influences but i do want to talk about the feathered uh theropods so those are like you know at the end of the cretaceous period so those are things like uh Mm -hmm your raptors, uh, your T-Rexes, the, you know, the allosaurs. I felt like there was a really great tie in here because uh, I'm going to keep saying it wrong. It's, it's Coridon, right? Coridon. Cari- I'm yeah? sure to the English dub, we're all wrong. So <laughs> however you want to pronounce it. We'll fine. have to wait until Cerebi comes out with their pronunciation guide for this generation. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so anyways, its signature move is called Collision Course. And it the, the description of the move literally talks about a catastrophic prehistoric collision that wiped out life. And I really thought that was, a, you know, um, a tie in here to those those feathered theropods where, you know, there could be some connection here with the, the design itself. Mm-hmm. You know, as it has some of the similarities with things like raptors, you know, based on where the feather placements is and as those were alive during the Cretaceous period, which is, you know, when the big the big one hit and as flat earthers believe the the plate wobbled and dinosaurs fell off no really (laughs) oh i didn't know that man that said i do want to talk about uh this though obviously and i know i've talked about this on the show throughout the past you know five over five years now a lot of the legendaries have ties into actual mythology Mm -hmm. and i saw this thing knew we were going to spain and was like wait quetzalcoatl like first thing that came to my mind, uh, just because uh, for those who don't know, so a lot of Mesoamerican cultures uh, they have some form of like some form of a feathered serpent, usually as a deity, and one of the most notable ones is uh, Quetzalcoatl. So it's like this long winged snake, and for the Aztec culture, it's actually one of the creator deities. And so one of the things that was really cool to me though is that I know that because uh, we've talked about it before as being one of the tie-ins for the uh, Kami trio when they go into the Theron forms is that, you know, uh, Quetzalcoatl had different forms that he could take. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them were anthropomorphic, (laughs) but 
I thought that tied into Caridon uh, pretty well as it, you know, changes forms throughout the game too. Yeah. But the big tie in here for me, and this is a big one, is that for anyone who doesn't know, is that the Aztecs were conquered and, you know, colonial goodbye uh, by the Spanish in, you know, 1521. So I thought that was a really interesting connection uh, because there there were a lot, especially like if there were like little side comments that if you didn't know to pay attention to like things in the school or things like the teacher said or things in some of the books that you you know, you didn't know to like look at, but there were a lot of like remarks and comments that did correlate to Spain's actual history, you know, with, with conquest, with, you know, Inquisition, uh, Roman Catholicism, you know, taking over and taking out some of the pagan roots, which we'll talk about in a minute. But there were all these like little, almost like side marks. I'm like, okay, wait, I think I get what you're hinting at here. And it just has me wondering more and more about because it feels like every generation they're doing a better job at tying in more of that actual history and kind of they like, are. I'm really curious to see where that goes. Yeah, and acknowledging the real world connections and interrelationships. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, with the Quetzalcoatl clear inspiration here, it's, you know, to my mind, you know, in the way that we're talking about you know, native anole species and how Cyclozar got to Paldea, it's a very similar story in terms of culture being taken and, you know, removed back to Spain or to Paldea, as it were, of coming from these Mesoamerican cultures. So I thought, you know, to me, it's a very, it's a very clear acknowledgement without needing to, you know, directly state and I would love for some DLC or something to get more into that, like, direct statement of acknowledgement of relationships and how that happened. But, you know, we'll have to see if that's a direction that Game Freak decides they want to go. No, I'm just, I'm, like, really curious to see, especially, you know, wherever we end up in the next game, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so we got to go to uh, Maridon. My only comment here is that Maridon now has in all her full glory her motorcycle windshield cask, and it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I so thought Carrie, really... go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to expand a little bit, but you know, carrying through that you know evolutionary timeline, um, you know, we're looking at Caridon as an uh, evolutionary ancestor of Cyclozar, and Cyclozar, it's. It's strange to think about because that's our quote, you know, current time zone, right? But it's the uh, evolutionary ancestor to Maridon. And so seeing that carried through to, as we talked about before, some of those adaptations to what future life may be like with the jet engines and fixed wing gliding and, you know, her full motorcycle windshield cask. I'm, I'm assigning gender here, I know, but. <laughs> future humans will have wheels uh, into their, built into their feet. Uh, yeah, wheelies. Yeah, who needs the wheelies time? when you can just, like, <laughs> evolve some? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, and I will say that I was kind of a bit sad that the only uh, common theme with all of the future paradoxes was really the, uh, like, robot take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instead of it being like, hey, we're streamlined now. <laughs> I think that's their version of like streamlining streamlining it. They want to because 
Pokemon are so integrated into society um, throughout the the Pokemon world throughout all these games that I think that like for them like showing you how they've like become streamlined is also showing you how their society has become streamlined as well. I don't know. It would have been cool for them to uh, look at the actual world and be like, okay, wait, clearly we're going to have another mass extinction here. So after global warming has done its damage, <laughs> what evolves next? Yeah. And I mean, Baridon, their look does, you know, differ pretty substantially from any of the other future paradox Pokemon. What I do love about, at least I assume this is the, the same for the past, but for the future paradox Pokemon that they retain one typing of their, you know, current evolutionary ancestor of our current timeline. Um, so that's a really nice touch to me. But yeah, I mean, to Chelsea's point about the, you know, Game Freak sort of envisioning what Pokemon look like integrated into a future society. I, you know, I agree with Madison that there's... <laughs> a lot more that they could have done there to um you know <laughs> They're all octopus people. diversify a little bit yeah <laughs> but i mean what i would love to learn more about what i question is you know what obviously while these games are set in areas that are not based in japan the dev teams are based mm-hmm. in japan so what is the cultural thinking around you know things like machine learning and ai and you know any sort of robot i mean we've got robot <laughs> vacuum cleaners now and robot lawnmowers and robot yeah dogs robot like waiters and stuff too yeah. <laughs> so you know i i feel like there's going to be a differing level of i don't know that i want to mm-hmm. say like acceptance but just like embracing maybe of how technology is changing and i would love to know more about what that looks like from a japanese perspective because from a, a cultural perspective and a communication perspective, you know, Americans and, and Japanese culture are very different. So I'm, I'm while we see yeah. it as, as like, let's get us ahead, let's, you know, do what we can to progress ourselves, you know, sort of on a more individualistic basis, from a more collectivism basis, I, I wonder where that plays into that, you know, perception of where future Paradox Pokemon fit into culture um, from a Japanese perspective. So Maridon. Uh, there, I, I do feel like there is ties here with, uh, so I'm going to say this wrong. Uh, Quilebre? Quilebre? Hopefully I'm Quilebre? doing that right. Uh, so essentially it's a giant winged serpent dragon of the, um, the Asturian or the, uh, Cantabrian mythology. So, uh, and I, I think it's really important again, like acknowledging Spain's history, uh, for anyone doesn't know the, uh, the, uh, the Cantabri people, they live on the, uh, in the Iberian Peninsula well before like the Roman Catholics took over the country. And it like ties into that mention of the previous empires in Paldea before the unification. And I do want to talk about, I do want to talk about this another day, but at some point, but the, uh, the Culebre, they, they lived like in a cave, they guarded treasures. Huh? Huh? What's inside area zero, right? Huh? Huh? <laughs> uh, they, they also kept uh, what's known as a, uh, <laughs> Anhanas, hopefully I'm saying that right, which are like these these uh, Cantabrian fairies, and they like keep mass prisoners. <laughs> so when I was trying to look these up and learn as much about these as I could, it uh, Bulbapedia was like convinced that they're re- related to thunder somehow, and that's where the typing comes from. And as I was looking it up, 
I guess like these uh, the culebres uh, in pop culture, like Warcraft and Final Fantasy, they have like electricity. But there's no mention of that in any actual mythology because, like, I spent, like, hours looking and I could find nothing. <laughs> so whoever wrote that article, <laughs> no, so we know that you're a Warcraft. <laughs> what? I, that's just so interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that. Well, I think about that a lot, too, um, because as someone who's, like, a whole, like, fanatic over mythology, anytime I'm playing any of those, like, Japanese those JRPGs, like, like, okay, wait, I know what that is. You know, like you'll be playing Final Fantasy, and I'm like, wait, that's a Garuda. And of course, so, as we all do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah. I, what I was really thinking about here with um, Julebre being that they're seen as like a serpent uh, that, you know, flying. And I was trying to think of like, where would that idea? So, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, that the, so the Cantabri people are in what's now, or the Cantabri people were in what's now modern uh, Cantabria. So, I don't know if you know what that is in Spain. It's it's, an, it's like an autonomous region of Spain. I'm not sure if either mm-hmm. of you are like know that history at all. Um, I'm familiar, but not enough to be yeah a spoken expert. Because I know that there's been a lot of like uh, there's a lot of cultural differences between like the you know uh, because of those roots here. Like they have those different uh, the different roots and the cultures and stuff. And something I was thinking about, because I know uh, Cantabria is, you know, northern Spain, was being on the Iberian Peninsula, could that folklore had been derived from uh, crocodiles in the Mediterranean? Oh. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Like they've, the Nile ones have been found in the Mediterranean, right? Um, I think so. Well, because I know there was like Bring ancient crocodiles that like were in, you know, Spain in that oh, area. Oh, okay. Okay. Because something, something we've talked about in the show a lot, or I have, especially when doing like mythology, it's like, where could these have, these mythos have come from? Because it had to come mm-hmm. from someone interacting with something somewhere. Yeah. Someone saw something. So either, you know, those those extinct large crocodilian fossils, which we'll talk about next week, ha ha ha, or actually someone seeing a Nile crocodile for the first time and then coming back home being like wait you'll never believe what I saw so I thought that was a really cool tie-in though and I I liked that you know bringing in the the the, the Cantabri peoples uh you know that 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 the, those pagan folklores because you know the game talks about Paldea having the unification which is that same in our world with the you know Roman Catholicism taking over the country and essentially assimilating or uh removing uh other groups and we'll talk about that at a later date hopefully (laughs) but that's all i got it's so interesting that i mean i guess you can't really have mythology from the future but you know we have this futuristic pokemon that's still so deeply entrenched in Mm -hmm. mythology particularly surrounding um spain that's yeah it's a to me, it just ties it back all together to the the literal evolution, right? That even, you know, after generations and generations and millennia, presumably, of, of time between Crydon and Maridon, like, they're both still rooted in mythology within, you know, the region or, or the colonized region. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a very nice touch that they can, they 
that they utilize that mythology in their character design for not just Coridon, you know, who so clearly calls to the past, but also for Maridon, even though they clearly call to the future. Honestly, that was a lot of fun. And I, I'm really happy to have you both here. This was a great time. I loved it. Yeah, I had a great time as well. Catch Uh, me every week doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I, well, at the moment, we're going to be rotating people in and out. So it will give everyone a chance to kind of get to meet everyone. Totally going to have you both back uh, next month. uh, And I'm so happy to have you both on the team. Uh, If you haven't listened to Chelsea's introduction episode, please go do so. And Ceci's will be dropping later this week. I am so very excited to have you both here as part of this. And I cannot wait to introduce everyone else as well. If you haven't yet, please go uh, submit your plant Pokemon questions because we cannot wait to answer them here at the end of the month. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, ladies, for coming. Bye. Thank you so much for, for having me. This was a great time.